Jesus is baptized. There's no sin to remove here, we know. He's setting a pattern. He's acknowledging something, and he's, as I talked about, I don't know, it's been years, so I guess I shouldn't reference old sermons because you probably didn't hear them, but as I talked about when I did a whole series on the book of Mark, something very important happens at Jesus' baptism. He's given the two witnesses that he needs in order to become a rabbi. He has two authorities. He has the authority of the acknowledged prophet, John the Baptist himself, because John the Baptist himself is the one baptizing Jesus. And he has the authority of the voice which speaks and says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The voice from heaven and the status of John become the two endorsements, if you will, that enable Jesus to form a rabbinic school. And in forming a rabbinic school, have teachings that are unique and in some ways contradictory to the teachings that have come up before. You hear Jesus say this in his ministry, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you, there's a contradiction there. He is shifting something or reframing something or changing something. That comes... The authority to do that only comes with the authority of rabbinic teaching and, and being one who is the head of a school. So something very important happens here. He's given this new authority. And I know that sounds really odd to speak of Jesus being given a new authority. But even he uses that language, doesn't he? In Mark, Matthew 28, all authority has been what? Given me in heaven and earth? Okay. So Jesus is given this authority and immediately this spirit form that has come down in the form of a dove as the voice is being spoken. So you have uh, Jesus present incarnate. You have the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove. You have the voice of the Father. This moment is captured in Mark and it says immediately the spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted now, throughout Jesus' ministry, most of the time we see him going into the desert to pray. Isn't that right? Leaving his disciples, disappearing for a while, capturing a moment of time to pray. Is it, are you with me? Yeah, that's what he does. So we often think of this experience as the same thing. Jesus takes this opportunity to go into the desert and pray. But the scripture doesn't frame it that way. Scripture frames it in terms of his going in to be challenged, to be tempted. Now, the interesting thing is, is that in some ways, the two are deeply and inseparably connected. They are linked. Because when we enter times of solitude and prayer, trust me, the wild beasts are with you. Did you catch that in Mark? It says, and he was with the wild beasts and angels ministered to him. This is not a, not a description as I see it of bears and lions and wolves putting his life at risk. This is not a description, if you will, of 
snakes and scorpions and biting ants, although he may have had to contend with all those things. This is not the story of Survivor Man. You see that show on TV? Okay, come on. I need to know. How many are watching Survivor Man? Cool, Milton, thank you. Do you like the show? It's an awesome show. This guy gets dropped in the middle of nowhere, and he shows you how he survives. He's done Florida Swampland with the gators. I don't do gators. Thank you, Roger, for that story. They are not dragons. They're dinosaurs as far as I'm concerned. I, I will, I, you have to knock on wood or something, you know. Don't call me to Florida, South Georgia, whatever. I, thank you, Lord, but I don't do gators. That's kind of my, uh, my deal, and, or crocs for that matter. Um, the Survivor Man guy, he just goes all over the world. He'll, he'll do uh, high mountain stuff. He'll do jungle stuff. And it's, it's really a, a very interesting show because you see that he's facing very real dangers and very real challenges. And some of the stuff he does to show you what it takes to survive is just absolutely fascinating and remarkable. I don't think I could eat 90% of the stuff he eats. Um, but he, he, he somehow makes it. So maybe there's a component of Survivor Man with Jesus out there in the wilderness for this period of time. I, I'm, I'm not really going to try to speculate a lot on that today. Because when I read of these wild beasts, I'm reading of something much more s- symbolic. I'm thinking that Jesus is facing his demons, so to speak. Have you ever had a little bit of quiet time where you you had no access to a radio, no access to a television, no access to your usual forms of entertainment, even your iPod battery was dead? You were away from the phone, you were away from other people, and all you had was a few moments of solitude and quiet. Have you ever had that? It's really unlikely that any of you have had that because we live in a place where there's just constant interaction and noise. But if you've ever had that, it's really interesting what starts happening in your head, isn't it? We start thinking all kinds of bizarre things. And interestingly enough, those things that tempt us the most, that challenge us the most, are part of what come to us. Our minds are very fertile grounds, aren't they? We have all sorts of repressed thoughts and feelings and emotions. We have all kinds of expressed ones as well. We have this sort of mask or persona we wear, this person we present to the world, and then what do we do? Who are we when there's nobody to present this persona to? Jesus enters the wilderness and there's no doubt in my mind that he prays. There's no doubt. But this is where everything tempting comes to him. A few weeks ago, a month ago to be precise, it's hard to believe it's been a month, Ray Beeson was with us. How many of you here were here for Ray Beeson? He talked on prayer a month ago. I can't believe the time has gone that fast. What a blessing that weekend was on prayer. And I think if Ray were here and he could have gone further with that and we were able to talk in a dialogue in front of you, it would be an interesting dialogue because I think he would say what I'm saying. 
that prayer isn't just a, a point of one-way communication. It isn't just a, a process of requesting. He said that much as he was here. It isn't even just uh, always a clean communion. It's a discipline. And it's a time of openness to spiritual things. And guess what? In the spiritual realm, there are two forces, aren't there? There's the good and evil. There's the godly and the demonic. There is Christ versus Satan. So in the moment of opening up time and space and making ourselves spiritually available, we are also making ourselves spiritually vulnerable. Have you ever tried to meditate on a text or a theme or a narrative or a quality of God and found that if you gave it 10 minutes, eight of those 10 minutes, you were fighting other thoughts? Yes? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. It's really bad when the leader is way out of experience touch with the... Uh, you know. Okay, so good. We're in the same boat. Eight out of ten minutes, you're just kind of like, oh, what was I trying to focus on? Jesus was born in the flesh like you and me. And while he, he had many advantages, let's put it this way, I know that when it says he was with the wild beasts, he was distracted. There were pushes and pulls on his life. There were forces at work that sought to destroy him. There were temptations that spoke to him in ways as our temptations speak to us. And I know, we've never indulged a fantasy, have we? We've never carried a malicious thought to its final conclusion have we? We've never remembered a slight brought against us and thought clearly of the path of revenge, have we? We've never thought to meditate on something righteous and true, only finding ourselves thinking about some inane or obtuse or even evil thing, have we? And Jesus goes into the desert, according to the text, and he faces these demons 40 days. Now we, in our Sabbath schools and in our, our teachers, we focus on the 40 days of fasting. And by the way, it is physiological. It is possible to fast for 40 days. So he may well have done that. But 40 days is an interesting number, isn't it? Do you agree? It pops up several times in scripture, doesn't it? So for this destructive period of time, if you will, this set period of time, Jesus is facing his demons and he's engaged in prayer and the angels are ministering to him. Now the powerful part about that is that when you and I go to a place of prayer and solitude, when we go to a place of quiet, when we open ourselves spiritually, 
both to receive what God has to bring to us and inevitably for the attacks that come as well. Those angels who ministered to Jesus are available to minister to us. They are there to help us and to keep us and to help us track. You see, the thing that that we learn about prayer as we get more and more into it, the thing we learn about prayer in the journey, when we've moved beyond that time of just saying maybe grace or a memorized prayer before bedtime, when we've moved beyond the time in which we've started to pray, but it's mostly about us and requests, or when we've started to move through or past a formula that, that takes us through certain steps in prayer or a model of prayer, even the Lord's Prayer for that matter, when we've moved into a time of deep meditation and communion with God for extended periods of time, we come face to face with the quintessential struggle for the soul. This is where a lot of work gets done. This is where we meet our demons. And this is where the angels stand to help. Let's turn again to that passage and just refresh. Mark chapter 1. Oh good, I left my glasses in the office. So if I miss about 20% of the words, you know what's going on. Mark 1, 9 to 13. I'm looking at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. We could look at Matthew chapter 3 and 4. Jesus is baptized, and in chapter 4, he goes into the desert. It says, chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. That's the expanded version of Mark's story. That's the expanded version of what is happening out there. He's tempted on the, you've heard all this before, he's tempted on the physical level, isn't he? He's hungry. But there's something more in that. He's tempted on the divine level because as hungry as I am, I can never make stones into bread. He could. 
He's tempted and he responds with scripture. What did David say? He said, on your word I meditate day and night. I delight in your law, O Lord. David records for us the joy of scripture. Memorizing it, understanding it, entering it, reciting it, living it. Jesus knew the scriptures. If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to know the scriptures. They've got to be part of us. And Jesus, in true rabbinic fashion, he fights the devil like a rabbi. Scripture to scripture. That's how they used to argue. Have you read Jesus's sort of dialogue? It was very, very interesting sort of structured dialogue. You see, in the Hebrew, there are no commas, no no punctuation really in the way the Hebrew is written. And moreover, in the Hebrew, there are no verse markations or chapter markations. How confusing would that be? So when they talked to each other, they didn't say, I think it's in um, Isaiah 46, 1, part 2. They just spat it out. And the other person had to know what that was and spit back another answer. Isn't that intense? They had memorized the law and the prophets. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's tempted with hunger. He's tempted to use his, abuse his divinity and turn stones to bread. And he answers it with a text. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My food, Satan, is not just the material. My food is the spiritual. My hunger isn't just for something to eat. My soul hungers and thirsts for you, O God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. What Jesus is saying. And Satan says, well, I've watched the rabbis for years. Two can play this game. Tell you what, let's go to the definitive place of worship. Interestingly enough, in John, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, and they have, she, she div- tries to divert the topic, remember. It's about her, but she tries to make it about something else. She's looking for an authentic witness, and she says, You know, the, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans say that this is the place. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. This is the place of worship. But I'll tell you what, something even more important, it isn't this that counts, it's that you worship me in spirit and truth. So Jesus is taken to the Temple Mount, this place in Jerusalem, this place that he's identified as the proper place of worship, or the, the so forth. And he's taken to the top of it, <laughs> And asked to jump. That would be a neat trick. Now remember, this is the same Jesus who, as the crowd is about to throw him over the cliff for declaring in the temple that the scripture was fulfilled in their hearing that he was the one, the Messiah, vanishes. And the crowd has no grasp on him. This is the one who will calm the seas and raise the dead to life. This is the one who will heal leprosy. So jumping off a temple mount is not particularly daunting, I'm guessing. And the scripture is there to support it. 
The devil quotes the Psalms. It's a favorite. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I'm sorry, that's Deuteronomy, not Psalms. Unless my eyes deceive me, I can't read that really little print. You can look it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> strike his, you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus is right there quoting the Old Testament, saying to the devil, or the devil quoting the Old Testament, saying to Jesus, look, I've got a text for this. It's okay. Leap. It is Psalm? Thank you. Psalm 91. I should have known. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Kathy. Good, good work. Did you, do, did you do that on purpose? No, it was the Holy Spirit that did that. See how nice that is? Jesus responds with another scripture. Yes, but it is also written, you don't get to test God in this way. The third temptation is the hardest of all. Look, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to take the way of suffering. You don't have to take the way of death. You don't have to take the way of pain and agony and humiliation. All you need to do is just bow the knee and worship and everything is yours. I don't even have to ask. I know all of you have been tempted to take the easy way, and I know all of you have taken it at one point or another. There is nothing more fundamental to our nature than to take the easy way. Am I right? And... Jesus is offered the easy way. We can get this done right here and now. I'll sign over the deed. All you've got to do is worship. Just bow the knee. That's not going to hurt anyone. Come on, it's between us. There's nobody around to see. Jesus notes... There's only one worthy of our worship. And the devil is banished, and angels attend him. They minister. Friends, we don't get any different a temptation in our own lives. When we're hungry, there's little else we think about and we seek whatever means we can to satiate ourselves. When we're offered the opportunity to think of God errantly and to lean on our own presuppositions instead of leaning on his word, we are often prone to do that too. And when the end of it all comes and we are tempted to take the easy path rather than the hard path, and we are tempted to trust in our own judgment in this and to, rather than to lean on him and to trust his understandings, we often take the easy path.
And the journey of prayer is integrated into this experience. It is a part of this experience, inextricably tied. When we enter that spiritual space of communication and praying with God, when we open ourselves to that relationship in a new and more profound way, when we attempt to take his word and meditate upon it, as the Psalms said, when we try to put our focus on something that has greater importance than our own bellies or our own power or our own selves, we often fail. But don't give up. Because this place is where the quintessential battle for your soul takes place. This is where the devil is banished and angels come and attend you. This is where the course is set. This is where the image of the Jesus who defeated the devil in that day, in that 40 days, is the Jesus who covers us and promises to dwell in us. Isn't that great? Who promises that his victory in that 40 days of suffering is our victory. Who promises that we who overcome will inherit with him. I'm not trying to preach a sermon of self-attained perfection or to suggest that you have to go out and become a meditation, Christian meditation master. I'm trying to say that it is in that space when we let go of the noise of the world and seek something spiritual. It is in that space where we seek to talk to God that our greatest demons and distractions come. And it is where the battle is fought. And if we're not praying people, we're not fighting the battle at the place in which it takes place in the most deep and profound way. And so I just tell this story today to encourage you, as I think Ray did four weeks ago, to build you up, to tell you I'm with you in the struggle, to say that we need to be a people of prayer, that the battle for our souls takes place there that it is in that quiet zone where the demons lurk. It is in that time of meditation where the beasts appear. It is in those places where our vulnerabilities are exposed. And it's that place where, where God is. It's that place where he's waiting to send angels to minister to us, to refresh us, to revive us, to keep us to replenish us, to minister to us. And my prayer is that all of us like Christ will have the words and the texts and the strength to say, in the end, it is written, you shall worship no one but God.